Welcome back to season three of Weird History's Minisodes. Oh yeah, we're back. It's the new year. We're in 2022 when this airs. You excited? I'm excited. So this is our Weird History Minisode where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Today we are joined by Casey. She loves to jump in on these and we love it when she does. Say hi, Case. Hi. We're here. We're in 2022, guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. So, what are what? Tell us, Melissa. What are we talking about this week on the Weird History mini We are talking about James Graham and his Temple of Health, or there. There's several names for this. There's the Temple of Health, the Temple of the Earth. Temple of the Prolific Hymen and oh. Temple of Asclepius. Okay. Can you repeat the third one? I'm intrigued. Uh, it, it goes by Temple of the Hymen or also Temple of the Prolific Hymen. Oh, we're getting into it this episode. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. If you thought last weird history was literally a guess. <laughs> and got a lot of laughter <laughs> and that one <laughs> um this one that one was a fair bit more actually scientific this one is just nuts all quackery oh i love a good quackery <laughs> in fact and i'll get into who james graham is in a minute but james graham is also considered the prince of medical quackery well considering the name of this temple hmm temple of the prolific hymen i can understand why he's considered a quack i haven't even begun the stories so everyone's heard of obviously strange and unknown medical cures particularly the ones where you ask yourself how did they even come up with the idea for that so medical quackery we know is nothing new right it goes as far back as ancient times and yeah, yeah, you see? Yeah. 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 Now you might say, but you know, you're looking at it from today's perspective on ancient medicine. Well, yes and no. So yes, in the sense that we would look back on and say, how did they come up with that? Because from today's medical standpoint, that obviously makes no sense to, to do this. But we're also talking about con artist quackery and people who are spewing you know, snake oil salesman, essentially. That's really what we're talking about right now. You're talking about Pirelli's miracle elixir. You want to buy a bottle? <laughs> it only uh, cost a penny guaranteed. <laughs> I'm just thinking sweetie pie. <laughs> smells like piss, smells like you. <laughs> I've got a whole slew of lists of medical quackeries. And there's some really some fun books out there about it. But we're talking... Not today, but we're talking just con artists and literal snake oil salesmen and people that are selling potions and tinctures that are probably nothing but 90% alcohol saying it cures everything, that it's French, a, a French tonic just to make it sound more professional. Or exotic. Yes. Oh, it's from France? It's the 1850s? Oh, it must be amazing. <laughs> So we are going to talk about, as I mentioned, specifically one doctor and his temple of health. So the quote unquote doctor is James Graham, originally from Edinburgh, and he was trained in medicine. However, he never graduated. He is not licensed to call himself a doctor, but he did call himself doctor throughout the rest of his life. So he dropped out at some point? Where, where, what school? Curiosity. Do you know? The main one in Edinburgh. The, the Royal College Society, the Royal College of, what's the what big one in Edinburgh? Oh, the, the Royal College of Medicine? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wasn't, I wasn't sure. Okay. So he, he essentially called himself doctor, even though he didn't have the medical finishing and licensed to call himself a doctor. And it said that he actually tried to get people to be in favor of leading a simple existence, such as not eating meat. 
However, in contrast to this living a simple life, he was also in favor of living excessively in luxury, which included soft beds and woolen clothing. And I will get into a little later how much wool actually costs during this time frame in history. And as he said, totally giving up using the deadly poisons and weakeners of the body and soul and the canker worms of estates called foreign teas and coffee. We'll never give that up. Thank you. No. Red port wine, quite delicious. Spiritus mm-hmm. and liquors, tobacco, snuff, gaming, and late hours are all the devil's work. I'm a night owl. You're not taking my nights away from me. <laughs> me neither. We're all night owls. All three of us here are people that function best at nighttime. I feel like intellectual people work best at night and creatives, you know, like can't turn the brains off. Right. I agree. So this story actually begins in England in the 1760s. So using his charisma, and he had lots of it, he was very much a showman, and his medical knowledge that he gained while at college, though he never graduated, he set up an apothecary shop in Yorkshire. And he stayed there for a while. Actually, before he even moved, he got married. So he and his wife moved to Yorkshire, set up an apothecary. And then after that did well enough, he's like, well, let's go to America and see if we can't seek our fortunes there. So he traveled in 1770 and settled in Philadelphia in 1771, which is a very good time to sort of settle down in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he began to attract attention from locals because he tagged himself as an oculist and an orist. I don't know what an orist is, but he dealt with a lot of eye problems, so the oculist part at least makes sense. And specialized and performing free services to the poor for prosthetic eyes, cataract surgery, claiming that he can aid in reversing hearing loss and a variety of other, I guess, or, I guess auras as in like hearing, not aura, like someone who can see your aura, which is why I thought it from it. So I guess eyes and ears. Those are awfully big claims. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It'll be part of our source notes. There's a... Very, very lengthy advertisement he put out at this time. I'm only going to read a very small portion of it. But he wrote in this advertisement that, quote, since his arrival in the city of Philadelphia, 470 patients have been cured or relieved of total, partial, and periodical blindness, weakness, dimness of sight, squinting, pain, swelling, and inflammation of the eyes. So clearly he's got a big, big booming business if he's been able to cure almost 500 patients of eyesight and hearing problems. So how do we connect this to the hymen? Is it, oh, I, I think I know. Oh, I think I, I, I haven't figured it out. Well, let, <laughs> let's, see if, let's see if your theory uh, plays out later. So while he is also in Philadelphia, he befriends a man named Ebenezer Tinnersley, somebody I've never heard of. But this person is incredibly influential and important in the turning point in James's life because Kennersley was not only interested in electricity, but also happened to be a very good friend of Benjamin Franklin. Really? Whom Kennersley learned about electricity from. Oh. Uh-huh. So Kennersley taught James Graham all about his knowledge of the uses of electricity. And Graham would then begin to believe pretty much for the rest of his life that electricity was the cure-all for all ailments. And he would use this as part of his health cures, quote unquote, later on. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'd be ready for that. So not long before 1776, because of the revolution just about to start, he said, mm, let's move back to England. It's getting a little uh, hot over here. And they took up residence in Bath. Then they took up residence in Bristol. Then they took up residence in London. And during this time, he would treat patients, practice his remarkable cures, and publish various 
pamphlets and such of his efforts on how he helped to heal numerous patients. Now, if you've got a booming business and you've been able to heal over uh, like close to 500 people in just maybe like a four year period of time or so, I don't see why you would all of a sudden, and, and outside the American Revolution I, or any kind of disrest in revolution, why you would leave that booming business behind if it was actually indeed successful. Keep that mm -hmm. in mind. And he's moving around to different places in London, all the while, while touting that he's cured numerous people of various ail ailments. And during 1776, after moving to Bristol, Bath, and London, he now decided and told his wife, let's travel abroad. He would go to Russia, where he would meet several Russian scientists who were also interested in learning about electricity. He would travel to Holland and Germany as well before settling back in, 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 in England at Bath. While he was there, he... Yes, ma'am. What quack is crazy enough to marry his quack? <laughs> they, uh, uh, they, they married before he decided to, I think, drop out of college. So before he moved to England, they got married. Maybe Still a quack! Maybe it wasn't so much of a quack beforehand. I don't know. She thought she was going to marry a man who was up and coming in the world. It's medical man and tricked her. Or did he? Hmm. So while he's in Bath again after touring Europe, he begins touting even more cures for common ailments. <laughs> huh. An advertisement from this time. In the late 1770s, he wrote that he his cures consist of, quote, chemical essences, aerial, ethereal, magnetic, and vapor, electric vapors, baths, and applications. I have no idea. The, the electric vapors? Yeah. Like high frequency? No. Like laughing gas. And oh, okay. So tying it back into, okay. At least I'm presuming it's laughing gas is the 1770s. But electric. And, and nitrous oxide was discovered in 1772. One of these, quote, baths that he created as a cure is very unusual. We've heard of mud baths and mud facials and clay masks. This one's called an earth bath. It sounds nice, but it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And this would end up being one of his most popular cures in his entire medical career. He claimed that it was not only good for various ailments, but anything that's touted as a cure-all or a near cure-all for anything you know is not real. Mm -hmm. He specifically stated that these earth baths were effective specifically for venereal diseases, gout, scurvy, rheumatism, leprosy, cancer, insanity, and various other infections. In addition, he also promoted these earth baths because he claimed it was an appetite suppressant and encouraged his obese patients to bury themselves up to the lips for up to six hours every treatment. What? Yeah, I know. I'm, I can't even. What the hell? How does and anyone breathe so wrong that these diseases aren't even connected? That's what I was going to say. Like, where do they connect? What's the common thread that, you know, connects that, you know, a venereal disease to cancer? What the? There isn't one. <laughs> Not inflammation. <laughs> How do you connect it with obesity and claiming it's an appetite suppressant? Yes, Lord. Or leprosy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 What? Okay. Would you like to hear about what an earth bath is? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what supposedly cured all this and I want to call it BS, of course. Should we, should we be eating or drinking right now? <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, well, you know, that's up to you. I'll leave that up to you. All right. <laughs> so this is a description of written down by uh, the son or the nephew of a patient who went and partook in one of these earth baths. 
And uh, so this is written from the nephew's perspective. The patient was led into the doctor's garden. There he took off his clothes behind a screen, stripping himself stark naked. He was then placed in a hole in the ground just large enough to contain the patient. Earth, finely sifted vegetable mud, was then gently filled in quite up to the patient's collarbone, the head and neck both being free and remaining out of the ground. The arms were buried, being placed close to his side. The patient was fairly in the bath. The screen was then removed, and he commonly saw the other person around him in a like situation with himself. And he passed the time as well as he could in conversing with them, for it was necessary to remain three to four hours in the earth. The sensation of heat was most oppressive. There was an unpleasant feeling of suffocation and the perspiration profuse. When the time prescribed had expired, the screen was placed around him. The bather was taken out of his grave and well rubbed, and he was allowed to put on his clothes and depart. Hmm. I mean, not a bath. That's a burial. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, is the theory to absorb the minerals of the nutrients from the ground directly itself and the and the magnetic energetic stuff of the earth was that I'm trying to rationalize it i'm trying to rationalize the quacks like treatment here i don't think there is a rationalization i i don't think so i think you're in the earth it's warm you do sweat i think it was more of a way to draw out the toxin and have yourself buried in wow. order to but again if you're how does obesity and drawing out toxins make any sense as well, an, appeti well, an appetite suppressor for four hours or five whatever six hours to the lips not so you have your entire body up to your jawline buried in mud yeah so you can't eat so there you go <laughs> So you're sweating. Detoxification. Yeah. You, you, you're buried up to your jawline and, and dirt for six hours at a time. No eating, no drinking. You're sweating. Oh. You're, you, you know, I mean, it, if, if it's hard enough to be up to your collarbone and not feel suffocated, imagine being up to your jawline. And you're probably, you know, you're in there for six plus hours, so you're probably defecating in there yeah probably you're probably peeing quite a lot if you're sweating that much it doesn't specify whether it what time of the year it was done or anything so we don't know if it was in the winter probably not but it could have been in the the blinding heat of summer yeah with sweating yeah and you're you're dehydrated now you're extremely dehydrated this could technically kill you yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't see where this makes sense. But then none of his cures make any sense. <laughs> this is just the first. Mm. This is the one that kind of started. So the patient in this story actually said to his nephew that he found the bath so disagreeable that he would never do it again. And he never did. However, but he believed that it did aid in his rheumatism that he recommended it to several of his friends who would then go on and take these earth baths. Now, I don't like it, but you go ahead and try it. Maybe it will work for you. So soon after opening his bathhouse, Graham actually began to acquire very wealthy patrons and patients. One of these was Horace Walpole. Oh, that's a pretty big name in England at the time. Also, historian Catherine Macaulay, who not only was very wealthy and a patient, but also ended up marrying James's half-brother, William. So I think a little more of a family patient than a wealthy patron. In addition, now I got very confused with this one, um, but in either case, one of the, the very most wealthy patients that he had was Lady Spencer. Now, I've, I 
don't know if Lady Spencer... So Lady Spencer is supposed to be the mother of Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire, which is a whole episode unto itself. But I don't know if her mother's name was also Georgiana because when I was going through some of the different sources, they were thinking that Georgiana was the patient and then some say that her mother was the patient, mostly because she was trying to conceive and was in, unable to bear children and then ended up adopting children, which sounds more like Georgiana's case than her mother's case so i'm not exactly sure which one it is but it happened in 1779 which makes me think it's probably or georgiana but i'm not sure but if you're i'm familiar with the with georgiana the Dev, duchess of devonshire certainly look her up because that is certainly an episode unto itself so as we begin to travel around about his cures and healing abilities bram decided to open up what he then counted as the Temple of Health. And this was in a converted house in Adelphi in Westminster and opened on July 1st of 1780. The temple was also known as Templum Asclepium Sacrum or the Sacred Temple of Asclepius, which is incredibly fitting if you know anything about the Greek Temple of Asclepius. <laughs> which essentially was also medical quackery during Grecian times. So uh, just a, a, a brief intro into that. People would come to Asclepius, who was supposed to be this really big, uh, somebody who's like high in medical knowledge at the time. And people would come for him for various cures. And he would claim that he could cure anything in the known world or you know, any diseases that were known to them. And he would have people at the temple working for him. But if you weren't of the followers of Asclepius, you were not allowed in the temple. So you didn't know how these things were made or what they would do to you and things like that. But it was all quackery, just ancient Greek quackery, which is really kind of fitting for calling your temple quackery. And this is the point where things get capital C-R-A-Z-Y crazy. I'm ready. <laughs> so this first temple, the Temple of Health, cost at the time in 1780 two guineas to and be admitted into to allow yourself to get inside the temple. Now, according to a conversion site that I went to, one pound British, which is two guineas, in 1780 was equal to, or so two guineas is equal to one pound sterling. 1780 to 2017, that's 86 pounds sterling 2017. One pound sterling in 1780 is 86 pounds in 2017. Translates oh to $115 American just to get inside. Oh my gosh. Uh huh. And going back to the wool, according to the same website, what they do is they'll tell you the conversion of pounds sterling to like at least 2000. And you could do it. It'll let you do anything from, I think, 1270 up until 2000 or something. And so it gives you a lot of different conversions. But it also gives you a conversion of what you could possibly purchase with that amount of money as well. And how many horses you could buy or how many sheep or something. That's cool. I did. I like that. That was really helpful. And so according to this site, one pound sterling at the time was enough to buy one stone or 14 pounds of wool oh which is a lot of wool yeah so that's a lot of money to get in that that's so messed up oh it's it, people it, who it, probably it, need the cures you know the most are like lower class people with a lot of ailments too and where do you see that every place in history Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not the doctors treating the poor that need it. It's the doctors treating the very wealthy that can afford it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So now you're in the temple and this is just a converted building. There's technically three floors, floor one, floor two, and the basement, but the basement were for uh, the, the, the staff. So as you enter on the first level, you are greeted by Gog and Magog. And these are two giants named after the giants of Guildhall. And additionally, after you've passed the giants leading into this temple, you then see Dr. Graham, 
performing and doing things amongst several goddesses of health. And these are local women who are paid to pretend to be goddesses of health. They're scantily clad in Roman togas and various stages of undress. And these are people that Dr. Graham has considered to be models of physical perfection. So the prettiest of all ladies. Yes. Mm -hmm. And one of these models turns out to actually be Emma Lyon, which I feel like we should also do an episode on. Lauren's giving me the thumbs up for that. Yeah, absolutely. This is Emma Lyon, who would become Lady Emma Hamilton, also mistress to Horatio Nelson. Started off as a model and an actress, and now a goddess of health at this temple of health. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I want to hear that episode. Oh, you really do? Maybe we'll have you on for that one. It'd be fun. Oh. Yeah, she's got a really interesting one. And she would end up being a goddess at this temple until 1781, so for roughly a year, year and a half. So while at this health spa, <laughs> uh, Graham would treat patients with, quote, musical therapy, pneumatic chemistry, electricity, and magnetism. Okay. So, and he offered materials and pamphlets on a variety of topics to people coming in, one of them even being on marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. he's so well versed yeah right he also sold different types of medicines such as electrical ether and nervous ethereal basalm don't ask i have no idea what those are uh my th- my thought on the nervous ethereal basalm is nitrous oxide given the nervous part and it's actually said that there were hookah pipes placed throughout the the two levels of the temple where the, of course, very wealthy patrons who could afford to go in would be able to partake in ether condensed with either nitrous or magnetic influence. So that's where your nitrous oxide comes in and your hookahs. Yeah. So the pain is dumb or numbed down while you're, ha- you're hanging out there. He was also incredibly famous for his electricity lectures. Are you ready for this one? Is anti-masturbation lectures. Oh, that's so interesting because I thought it was going to go the other way. It does, but it doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere you think it does, but it also does at the same time. Wait, wait just wait. Huh. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> wait, so maybe it's anti-self-masturbation? That is masturbation. It's self-pleasure. Well, yes, but what I mean is like, never mind. I'll let you get to it. (laughs) My my process is going, yeah, never mind. Additionally, after the end of each lecture, especially the electric curative lectures, Graham would then shock the patients with conductors or by the use of conductors that were built underneath their seats. So he touted electricity as a cure-all, right? So if you had a shock of electricity, specifically if you're sitting in an electric chair and you got a shock of electric voltage, you had an electricity regimen towards curing whatever ails you. So as a sort of a free gratis electrical charge, if you attended his lecture, you got shocked under your seat. Then after you get shocked under your seat, (laughs) the spirit quote unquote, which was another giant, would magically appear from under the trap doors in this lecture hall and would be carrying a very pretty bottle of ethereal basalm, which would then be applied to each person in the lecture room as as a free test of this product. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that feels very special. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess if you're paying the, the money to go in, might as well give him a really good show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so within the Temple of Health, you could also find the Temple of Apollo. I'm not sure what that is, but that was also there too. Probably another place where you just get high and numb to stuff and be weird. So in the basement of this were hired apothecaries 
Now, that could be actual people who are learned in apothecary science or people who just claimed they knew apothecary chemistry. Who knows? But they would concoct experiments in creating various smells and essences in the basement, which would then be used in various contraptions throughout the Temple of Health and also be used in the selling of merchandise well at this health spa temple. Within the building, there was also a glass harmonica, a very large one, also known as the angelic organ. And it played a variety of different music. And there were also large vats of water within the two floors that would be used for aromatic baths. Aromatic what? I'm sorry, it cut out for me. Bath. Oh, okay. I can just see it's- somebody going. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, or at the very least, it's what we do now. It's a hot bath with nice smelling stuff in it. And how you're talking about the different fragrances being, you know, spurs throughout the, it just reminded me again of that one episode <laughs> and how theme parks, you know, dispense the, the fragrances. <laughs> so he was on it. As long as they're not awful smells that make your patrons vomit, you're good. <laughs> oh. I still don't want that job. Uh, don't look into the chat yet, Case. I'll uh, tell you when to click on the link. Okay. So we're going to leave off. So the aromatic baths. So although the giants, the goddesses, lectures, baths, and more would entice these very wealthy people to come to the temple, there was one piece of equipment that was his most famous. You ready for this one? No. His celestial bed. <laughs> what, did Heliopolis sleep on it? He is a cure. Mm-hmm. 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 Would you care to take a guess as to what this celestial bed was used for? Don't look at the link. Orgies. <laughs> One-on-one healing sessions with him. He's a god. Mm, you're halfway there, but no. You said it's a bed that's the the special thing, or what he uses in bed. It's not his bed. It's a bed. Oh, it's a, bed. a bed. It's it's a, it's a part of the treatment you can pay for. Is it just like a vibrating bed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because my head's going for vibrator. And so, like, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. You're you're partially there. It was specifically used for his regimens of sex therapy. And he touted this celestial bed, telling those that wanted to use it that, quote, you will be blessed with progeny when you use it and claiming that it would cure any issues of sterility and impotence. Oh, man. Now click on the link, uh, the picture I put in the chat. <laughs> Lauren's face. You <laughs> oh, made a face. Okay, wait. I don't see, there's no link in my chat. There Try you that go. one. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. That's exactly what we don't need. Wow. Jesus. Hyman right on the top. (laughs) There's people underneath working their magic. What is this? (laughs) They play music for you. They're doing something with the bed. The bed can go up and down. Oh, okay. Vapors. Jesus. Ridiculous. Yeah. Just utter wow. ridiculousness. So um I don't have to read through the whole thing, but yes, if you look at the diagram on the left, the bed tilts, the bottom of the bed tilts up and down in order to give the best position to conceive. Oh mm. best position. Yes. The small little pillars underneath the bed are glass pillars that is where the electricity is sent into 
Gotcha. Underneath, you have James Graham himself also there. He's the one stoking the fire. And that's where the, the, the oils of the, the, the floral oils would be stoked into to fill the room with floral and pleasant essences. You have people down there working the gears to move the bed about. And then you also have your musicians playing fancy music and calming music. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then in addition to that, so you've got the glass pillars below the bed on the support. And then in between where the mattress sits, there's magnetic um, pieces there that also are supposed to aid and creating uh, an ambiance and, and aid in conceiving and also curing sterility and impotence. Oh, it's a whole show. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole performance. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and at the dome, you see, so you've got, as I'll discuss in a second, you've got silk and damask, you've got fringe curtains. You've got the Greek gods up at the top. You've got Psyche and Cupid. So Psyche and Eros, which you're going to have on a love bed, of course. And his, his, uh, the whole point of it is to help people conceive. So obviously be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth shown with families and cherubs all decorated about this bed. And if you look at the very, very far back corners of the headrest, you can see the organs where the music would play from. <laughs> and then there's flowers and the foot posts so you have fresh flowers you really set in the ambiance I don't know I, I don't know if this is ornate or if it's bordering on outright gaudy both <laughs> both combination that's intense I would be intimidated to try to produce in that bed <laughs> Well, if you imagine this, you've got electricity bubbling up in his glass pillars, right? So at some point during the fun times in this bed, if you could even afford it, I'll get to that in a minute, but it's electricity. At some point, your hair is going to get all spiky and crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're already having fun romping about in this incredibly luxurious and very expensive bed, and all of a sudden... Your hair starts to go crazy from the electricity. You're thinking, wow, this is really magical. This must be working. Yeah. And then you wake up to find out you actually did not conceive. Well, you wouldn't know the next morning, would you? Well, no, I'm saying you wake up at the end and you're like down the road and you're like, well, (laughs) Well, I mean, still not pregnant and this didn't work. We wasted a crap ton of money on it. With how many people use the bed there had to be some slight success rate of people actually getting pregnant on this thing i'm sure and so many people use it there's got to be one or two people who didn't fall pregnant but i wouldn't say it would be like a hundred percent success rate by any means. oh no absolutely not i'd say the same maybe success rate as the earth baths <laughs> <laughs> So this bed, as we've just recently talked about, and I'll go into a more specific uh, description of for those who haven't seen the picture that we'll post up uh, on on our our socials. The bed was said to have cost 12,000 pounds at the time in 1780 and was made by a 10 man in Denton. It measures 12 feet by nine feet. And when couples would be in the bed for their regimen, as we mentioned, it could actually be tilted in order to aid the couple, right? It cost two guineas to go into the temple or one pound sterling at the time. At the time, the use of the bed per night, you ready for this one? 50 pounds. Oh my gosh. So only the extremely wealthy could afford to use it. Would you like to know how much that costs today? Sure. Convert that for us. 4,300 pounds per night, 
or $5,731 American per night. Oh my gosh. Nope. That is a, a lot. <laughs> That's some serious vacation money on one night. Raking in that money. Oh my gosh. Jeez, Louise. Reminds me of these big, you know, televangelist churches and stuff, you know? That's the kind, same kind of hoax, you know? Well, yeah, that's how those pastors kind of big can money. afford personal jets. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Money doesn't go to what they think it goes to. I can guarantee that. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Lauren, I love your reaction. Well, it's, it's just like, you really think it's going to that? Mm-hmm. They need that much money for that. We raised $60,000, but we only fed $3,000 to the children. Where'd the rest of it go? Oh, our pastor bought himself a private jet. Oh, that's okay. We'll just give him more money. Mm. Mm. That's how con artists work. Mm. All right, so a description of the bed for those who are interested in not looking at the picture, but I guarantee you, you should look at this picture. Yes, um, <laughs> So this is all one quote. And I apologize for the language because it's 1780 and grammar and punctuation was terrible. It was beautifully carved and gilt, covered in silk damask, supported by 28 glass pillars and surmounted by a richly carved and gilt canopy from which crimson silk curtains with fringe and tassels were suspended. It is the first and only one in its world or that ever existed. It is placed on the second floor in a large and elegant hall, and a neighboring closet is placed a cylinder by which I communicate the celestial fires of the bedchamber, that fluid which animated and vivifies all, and those cherishing vapors and oriented perfumes which I convey thither by means of glass. The celestial bed rests on six massive and transparent columns, coverings of purple, and curtains of celestial blue surround it, and the bedclothes are perfumed with the most costly essences of Arabia. I really hope that's the only one that ever existed. Yeah, it was. Good. As far as I know. Yeah. So one story goes that in the early days of this bed in the prototype form prior to, so in the late 1770s, when he was able to, uh, so James was able to make a prototype prior to opening the Temple of Health and was then able to test its strength on a Dutch woman who so far had not been able to conceive, despite being married to a strong, likely man, according to Graham. And he also noted that this woman had also been partially paralyzed, was unable to speak, and also stopped having her periods. So put her on a sex bed, she'll be fine. Because, you know, that's not how menopause works. Oh, man. They didn't say how old she was. I'm going to assume that since she stopped having her period, she's going, either has gone through or is going through menopause. Endometriosis or polycystic, because I didn't have a period from the time I was 17 until I was 28. Or if she is uh, partially paralyzed, I don't know, incapable of speaking, I don't yep. that could mean a variety of different things back then. But if she's partially paralyzed, maybe stop having her periods. It could be something internal. She could have possibly been anorexic too. Ooh. Or yeah, had some thing. kind of form of an eating disorder. Because that, and the starvation itself is going to cause you from really being able to move a whole lot because you, your body has no, there's no, there's no gas in the engine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that will also cause you to stop having your period. So. so apparently this Dutch woman, her family brought her to Graham, told her the symptoms. And he says, oh, I've got something that should cure you. You should come test out my new bed that I've created. <laughs> and any time that anyone would use this bed, it would be supervised by Graham there the whole night to watch people have sex. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He likes to watch. Probably. Yeah, he's, he's a voyeur. That's what that sounds like. Mm-hmm. If he's going to have scantily clad and stages of undress beautiful women about his temple. He probably does. So her family brought her and her husband to test out the bed. And after 
her and her husband spent the night in this prototype, she was immediately given an ice bath. And the following morning, Graham instructed her husband into giving her a very firm massage the following morning. Graham claims that within two months of their visit on this prototype for the bed, the woman was now able to walk. She was now able to speak and she was happily pregnant. Interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, here's the really weird thing coming from Graham because he certainly is, I don't know, I don't know if I'd call him the first, but certainly is one of the earliest proponents of sex therapy for sure. And he was considered to be a sexologist, but he believed in aiding in sex, which at least in the terms of procreation. But as I mentioned, he would give anti-masturbation lectures. So he was incredibly against self-pleasure and prostitution, which he believed both were abominably wrong, that every act of self-pollution is an earthquake, a blast, a deadly paralytic stroke. So anything sexually pleasurable outside of procreation is a sin against God. Wow. Wow. So religious and self-righteous are we, even though we're duking people out of their money and mm, mm-hmm. kind of similar so to moral. the day. So kind moral. similar to what? Puritans, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> now, in regards to his, his celestial bed, he believed that the chemicals, the smells, the magnetism, and electricity brought both this body and spirit of the couple together in order to have them conceive. It wasn't for pleasure, it was for procreation. He actually puts it by magnetism, by musical sounds, by subtle, captive, cordial, and balsamic medicines and chemical essence, and by positive and negative electricity arbitrarily used. I have, as it were, an absolute command over the health, functions, and diseases of the human body. I'm gone. Wow. Oh, oh, boy. You know he's a quack when he says, I can cure everything. I'm capable of curing any known ailment in the world. Use my products. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. True quackaroo. Uh-huh. Bad man. Now, would you like to hear some of the things for those who couldn't afford to use the celestial bed? Oh, sure. He, he had <laughs> other options. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, if you cannot afford a 50-pound night romp in this super amazing uh, bed thing, whatever. Yeah, so (laughs) part of this makes sense. The first one makes sense to me. The second one makes no sense. I will say there were plenty of times when I was doing research for this where I was just laughing internally going, I just, I can't. I just can't. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) When Melissa has this And this is one of those moments. When Melissa has this reaction, everybody run. <laughs> so, what? like, I seriously, this is this is this this one. Okay, all right, giggle fits are gonna start. One way that he, particularly for those who are trying to conceive, he would recommend patience. To, to copulate, essentially, on a mattress that was stuffed with tail hair of stallions. That part makes a little All sense. Right. Huh? Stallions. Mm-hmm. They're I mean, studs. They're... Yeah. But, um, but how expensive weird. would that be? That's, that, that ain't going to be cheap either. Nope. That might end up being more expensive than the 50-pound romp. So, so how is this a solution? Mm-hmm. I don't know you're if you provided these mattresses or told them to go get one. You're you're supposed to know the answer to this because the last time I checked, this is your episode. <laughs> There's only so much information I can find. I can't come back in time and ask them. Hurry up and find the rest of it, geez. <laughs> now, yes. So, um, in order to conceive, if you can't afford a fifty night uh, stay on my celestial bed, have sex on a mattress stuffed with stallion hair. Yeah, and for women, for women oh, who were deemed to be sterile, would you like to know his cure? Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
So not I'm only really not you... sure I want to. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I'm really not sure that that's true. <laughs> For women. <sighs> not only were you supposed to um, electrocute, not electrocute, um, uh, use electricity down there. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I'm not exactly sure in what way, because this is uh, a lot, this is about a hundred years before the uh, Victorian vibrator. <laughs> but you were supposed to stimulate yourself using electricity down there in order to cure your sterility. In addition, he t- would recommend and tell women that in order to cure your sterility, wash your genitals. With champagne, ice cold champagne. <laughs> what a waste of champagne. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Such a waste. Well, the electricity thing, there are communities that use electric play, you know, for sex. It's a stimulative. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm imagining it on a much higher level from this. Yeah, wax, like so higher voltage. Hurt. Yeah, like it hurts versus <laughs> giving this you is primitive. Well, I mean, this guy is extremely primitive. Primitive, like yeah. Oh, and but champagne. Oh my <laughs> lord! And now, aren't we bougie? <laughs> and now, let's waste the nice bubbly stuff to wash, to wash our genitals. Because that's really going to help. What a waste of really good alcohol. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Champagne. <laughs> this is like the point where I was just like, I just can't. I just, I maybe need to walk away from the laptop longer and do research. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, I can see you doing that. Me, I'm just, I would just be staring at it, thinking to myself. I I actually, to be honest, when I first read this, I was thinking of what your dad would say if he heard about this. Mm. (laughs) My my dad would go, they were all quacks in those days. They're still quacks to this day. Mm -hmm. Oh, we both know. (laughs) My dad even knows he's the doctor in the family and... I'll be honest, he's a little quack himself. Or seems to run in the family. Rude! Oh! oh. Rude! Fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> Might show up on your door on, on Thursday and be like, fighting words. <laughs> I'm just picturing myself in a bubble bath and the sensation of bubbly champagne down there. It does sound slightly intriguing. <laughs> I would think you if you okay, want a cheaper Casey? version, just use seltzer or tonic water. But it's an alcohol, so it would probably burn. Well, and then back then, what is the alcohol content? Oh, yeah. That is a good question. I mean, it'll sterilize, but it won't cure your sterility. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my gosh. Fair enough. Oh my this, gosh. This has been fun. I thought you'd love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> going away from uh, this temple for just a minute, There's a way as we've been through. joking about for a while, of course, there were many, many, many people in London at the time who believed everything that he touted. But despite the many that believed in his cures and potions, there were, of course, many that also saw him as a medical quack. There were many, many political cartoons featuring him, (laughs) as well as other medicinal, like medical quacks at the same time, too. There's even a play about him called The Genius of Nonsense. No. Which is a satire. Back to go see this play. And yet, at the same time, that's even giving him too much credit. True. That is, like, bringing to light him far too much. Well, I'm sure it's very satirical and wonderful. <laughs> I would, for, like, to, today I would go see it in the modern day because we already know his quack. But back then, 
It's giving him far too much credit. I, would, I mean, as a form of entertainment in 1781, I would still go see it if yeah. they let women in to watch it. I can see that, actually. Yeah. All publicity is good publicity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Bad press. There was even case, a British. Yeah. There's even a British medical journal at the time that called him one of the vilest imposters in the history of quackery. Brilliant. That's true, too. There's a reason he's called the Prince of Medical Quackery. And he's really good at convincing people that he's not. Well, he may be very good at convincing people, but he's not very good with his money. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I think I'm going to like this part. <laughs> <laughs> so, initially, the temple did incredibly well, opening its doors to 11,000 people in just a three-month period of time. Some of them just gawkers, some of them actual patients. But imagine it's two guineas or one pound sterling per person to enter. And you have 11,000 people entering in just a three-month period. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But think of all the stuff he has in his temple. All, uh, not just, not even accounting the celestial bed. But all of the, the fancy, probably he's got fancy art, he's got fancy wallpaper, he's got different uh, rooms for different things, he's got trap doors for people to come up in the lecture hall and all this jazzy stuff. A lot of overhead costs. Right. And in order to keep it up, it becomes more and more and more expensive, despite wealthy patrons and people paying to come in. But whatever goes up must, must come down. Come down. Dun, dun, dun. So Graham's temple didn't last long at all. Oh my god. It opened in 1780 and the first one had to close in late 1781. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. That'd be really short-lived. Yeah. He moved the first temple from Westminster to Paul Mall. And opened up his second temple, which this is the Temple of the Hymen. I have no idea why he called it that, other than maybe he moved the celestial bed over there too. But just, just, okay. I also saw that it was also called the Temple of the Prolific Hymen. But I'm just, these, these things. Yeah. Now that opened up in 1782. But by the end of 1782, he was bankrupt. Hmm. And he closed the Paul Mall Temple in 1783. And then, because not only was the temple was bankrupt, he was completely bankrupt. And in order to make ends meet, he began selling parts of his collections, his possessions, and medical apparatuses in 1784. Someone bought the celestial bed. <laughs> Do we know who? I don't remember who I forgot to write that down, but somebody incredibly wealthy that could afford it. Wow. Really? Yeah. And I'm sure he had to disassemble it, travel, reassemble, and pay for all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody got money, and it ain't the quack! Late in the decade, so the late 1780s, Saul Graham go from incredibly wealthy and highly sought after for his medical cures to being bankrupt and sort of cast out. And now he's become fervently religious. Mm. Mm. Now the Unitarians had just become a movement on the scene not too long before, led by Joseph Priestley, who we also mentioned in the previous Weird History, the man who uh, discovered nitrous oxide in 1772 and also invented seltzer water. And Graham had a hatred of Joseph Priestley. And he was actually quoted saying that Priestley's religious views of Unitarianism were hurtful to the masses and his suggestions of electrical fire and produced airs could be fatal. And yet Quick for him. Yeah, well, yeah, but um you want to hear what he did for his own religion? Oh no. Yeah. Yes. Let's go. 
So as a rival to Priestley, Graham began touting his own type of theology. He ended up founding the New Jerusalem Church. Would you like to kick a guess how many members this church had? Thousands. Two? Oh, more than thousands? Two thousand? No. One? Just one. (laughs) Just up. I thought you were saying more, like, go up. Nope, nope, nope. Just Graham himself was the only member. That's a sad church. Oh my gosh. That's a very sad poor church there. (laughs) He also would sign his letters, any letter at this point to anybody, he would sign it, Servant of the Lord, O-W-L, not Owl, O-W-L, O Wonderful Love. You know what that reminds me of? (laughs) Is it O-W-L's and Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Harry Potter. Oh my gosh. They're going to have that special at reunion we're gonna watch it (laughs) so in addition to his own theology and his founding of this church where he was the only member he also preached vegetarianism which he'd been a vegetarian for most of his life and also preached long periods of fasting so we're talking long periods of fasting and he even claimed that he was able to survive 15 days with only consuming cold water but very small amounts and during this fasting period he also said that he would quote wear cut up turf against his body so cut up grass and whatnot rub himself with his own nervous ethereal basalm as well he even claimed that through all of his cures throughout his medical career quote unquote which he often used on himself as well he would live to the ripe old age of 150 because all these medical cures could also give you super long life. Mm. Mm-hmm. And over time, apparently his behavior became so erratic. He had to be confined to his house after being proclaimed to be a lunatic. Karma. <laughs> he was also arrested at least twice. The first time where he moved uh, out of England and moved back to Edinburgh after having to close the temples down and selling most of his possessions. He moved back and tried to throw out some pamphlets to try to get more people to kind of, but his reputation had been shot by then. Some of the laws in Edinburgh at the time claimed that his pamphlets were lewd and indecent, and he was charged essentially with indecent exposure and his pamphlets and was arrested. That wouldn't be the only time. Well, that makes sense (laughs) Another time, he apparently was out in public, stripped all of his clothes off, walked around the the street he was on fully naked, and then handed his clothes to a poor man and then was arrested for indecent exposure. (laughs) This can also be chalked up to his very, very long time and very heavy opium habit. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of of opium through this this discussion for some mm-hmm. reason because of the vapors and you know inhaling all the stuff and sounds about right. He's probably using nitrous oxide as well as various uh, opiate mm-hmm. gases and stuff. And he died on June twenty third, seventeen ninety four, at the age of forty nine, not one hundred and fifty. <laughs> oh. Oh. Missed it, missed it by quite a bit. And his cause years. of death, it, it, it kind of varies depending on the source. One said he had a ruptured blood vessel. One said he had a brain aneurysm, which technically would be about the same thing. One said he had a hemorrhage in his brain. So I guess if you have a ruptured blood vessel, then maybe a hemorrhage. And he was buried a few days later in Great Fires Churchyard. The entire time, he is still married to his wife, who went through all of this with him. Mm. Wow, she really stuck by him. Yeah. And yeah. So for more in-depth information, there's a book called Doctor of Love by Lydia Sison. Check that out. No, whatever you do. That is uh that's all my info on Dr. James Graham and his temple of the earth, health, and hymen. Oh my gosh. 
Very Sorry. fascinating. And oh my gosh. <laughs> Glad you guys could join me for it. And that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All mini-sode. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook via History Explains It All underscore podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us with ideas or any comments, you can do so at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. Please leave us a rate and review if you can, and if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. And thank you, Casey, for coming on. Thank you for having me, ladies. I love you. Bye. Explain it all for now. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.